Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. Amen, amen. Endless days, endless days we will sing His praise. Do you believe it? If you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to join me now in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We have been studying uh, the concept of how we are blessed. And church, we are blessed. And I'm not talking in some type of superficial hashtag Instagram kind of blessed way and that you woke up this morning and you got your cereal and and uh, the air conditioner is working just properly. I'm talking about you are blessed with things that cannot be taken away from you. You are blessed with things that do not change with age. You are blessed with things that do not change with health, that do not change with the economy. You are blessed with something that lasts. Amen, church. And today we continue our study of what it means to be blessed. So let me, let me begin our service by asking you to imagine with me a scenario. Imagine that today you got a phone call and you discovered that you were an heir to a fortune. Just sit back, just close your eyes, think about what, I've got to get you excited somehow, okay? If that music won't do it, I've got to get you excited somehow. Imagine what things would change in your life, how the, your day-to-day routine might change if you were to discover that you were an heir to a fortune. It reminds me of the aristocratic bachelor from Portugal by the name of Luis who left his entire estate to 70 people that he picked from random from a telephone book. Have you heard about that? A man by the name of Luis, who was a bachelor in Portugal, uh, did not have any immediate family that he wanted to leave his money to. His, His entire estate, he opened up a telephone book and picked out 70 people from random and gave them his inheritance. Some of you are wishing right now you would not have gotten rid of your landline if that were an option. But don't worry, uh, evidently lots of people have our numbers anyway, so they'll, they'll find it somehow. There's also the lady Leona Hemsley, a New York billionaire, a, t- uh, a tycoon who left her $12 million inheritance to her dog named Trouble. Uh, It went to court. The judge ruled that the dog would not be able to live on $12 million a year. He would have to suffer by with just $2 million. $2 million. Bless that dog's heart. That story is rough. I'm sorry. that That joke was for the dogs. If you don't like that, you're barking up the wrong tree. Let's move on to... I've got a thousand of those. Some people out there saying, dad jokes, stop that. What about the Hong Kong billionaire who left her entire $12 billion fortune to a religious teacher who taught her that if she left all her money to him, he would give her eternal life. Tragic. Tragic. And yet, 
Believers today, you should know this. You have been given an inheritance that is sure. You have been given an inheritance that is not even fathomable, that cannot be taken away from you. And as we explore this idea of being blessed through Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 14, we come to our passage today in verse 11, which teaches us about the inheritance that we are about to receive. To every man, woman, boy, and girl who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, this inheritance is already theirs and is waiting on the day that it is to be finally fulfilled. So instead of beginning in verse 11 today, let's begin back at the very first of where we begin in verse 3, and we will read our way through verse 14. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And our text for today, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, please now anoint this weak preacher to preach your word. And Father, I pray you would speak to your people today, and I'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verses 3 through 11 make up the longest sentence in the New Testament. That's right, verses 3 through 14, rather, is an entire sentence. I know that uh, English teachers everywhere are just, like, really upset that the sentence has carried on this long. But it is a, a glorious sentence where God teaches us of how much he has blessed us. We begin in verses 3 through 6 where God teaches us of how God the Father intervened before time began. God's plan in our blessing, in our salvation, began before the earth was ever created, and it consists of the Father's planning. Before anything ever existed, God had planned to save you. If you are in here today and you are born again, God had planned to save you. And if you're in here today and God is working on your heart, even right now, on your need for Jesus, you should know this, that before time began, God chose you. The Father planned this blessing 
even knowing all the sin that would be in our lives. Now, in verses 7 through 10, we move from what the Father did before time, which is the planning, to what Jesus, his Son, did in time. God himself entered into our timeline, entered himself into our time, and he provided salvation. The Father did the planning. Jesus did the providing. And we see that in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus would pay the price for our sin and would give us the opportunity to be called children of God. The work of the Father in salvation, the planning. The work of the Son in our salvation, the provision. And now in verses 11 through 14, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the, 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 the triune God all at work here in our salvation as we see not just the planning and the provision of our salvation, but the application of it. The application of our salvation. And today I want us to see three main points about the work of the Spirit in the application of our salvation. I want you to see the inheritance they are, that we are yet to receive. I want you to see the certainty of that inheritance. And I want you to see, finally, not just the certainty of that inheritance, but I want you to see the purpose of that inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to look now with me in verse 11 as we look at the inheritance. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The, the idea of an inheritance runs throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from Adam and Abraham all the way until the Apostle John who would, who would write the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Inheritance is a key theme. And the idea is very straightforward and simple. It is this, that we are given something, that something is given to us. Abraham longed for an inheritance. You remember Abraham was promised that he would be given a land. And yet Abraham walked throughout the promised land and never actually had it in his possession. But he believed that God was good for his word and God would give him this promised land. Abraham held the little boy in his arms, who was the fulfillment of the promise of God, the inheritance, his inheritance, this baby boy who would carry on his name, and even more than that, would carry on the line until Jesus would come into the world. The Israelites enslaved in Egypt would long for the promised land, their inheritance. And when they finally came in to the promised land, they would be marked off an inheritance for each family. This is your heritage. This is your inheritance. It will be yours forever and ever. And so it's no surprise how God, who is the same God of the Old Testament, is the same God of the New Testament, would carry this same theme forward. And we were given this idea in two parts. Number one, in this passage, we are told that we have uh, obtained an inheritance. An inheritance obtained. We are heirs to a priceless fortune. Now, no doubt many of you have struggled this past year through the COVID-19 pandemic. 
the crisis that has hit the United States of America and the world. You have seen it displayed on many different levels through the politics of it all. And you've seen uh, the, the tragedies that occur in this world. Perhaps many of you have decided that you're going to have to work a little bit longer than you had anticipated because the money for your retirement is not, is not quite there as the way it used to be. Or perhaps there are other things in your life that are uncertain, but this you can take to the bank. You have an inheritance that has already been obtained, and you're just waiting on it to be cashed in. You have an inheritance that is coming. It, it is such a wonderful and beautiful and glorious inheritance, and it is ours. It is our inheritance. Peter We'll say this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He'll say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Think about this. The the inheritance that God has already provided for you does not diminish with the, the price or the value of the dollar. The, the inheritance that God has for you doesn't change with our age. It doesn't change with various things that go on in this world. It is an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled, it is unfading, it is kept in heaven for you. And in verse 5, Peter will say, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is this, God is guarding himself, he is guarding that inheritance. Which means this, you can't lose this inheritance. You ought to be excited, church. It ought to change the way that you live to know that all of this money that you have now, all of the goods in this world are going to fade. But there's coming a day where you will receive riches untold. You will be in the... And really, that inheritance is Jesus himself. He is more than enough. He is of, of greatest value that it cannot be estimated we are to inherit him. I was talking to my good friend Todd Carroll. Todd and Erica and his family, his three children, Julie, Samuel, and Sarah, left this past Wednesday for Brazil. And they arrived at their place where they will be ministering over the next three years in the Ami Training Center. And he asked me, and he asked the church to begin to pray for them on their uh, site at their training center, they have three wells. And they have estimated that their wells, which is the only way that they receive water, has only two weeks worth of water left in them. And they have not received rain in a long time. And everything is completely dry. He says because of that, we're limited now to two-minute showers a day apiece, cold showers, and uh, just a ration of water for us. Imagine, imagine that. We in America have such physical wealth, and it's not that way around the world, is it? But you take how fortunate we are, how blessed we are as Americans, and you multiply that by an enormous number, and it doesn't begin to scratch the surface 
on the inheritance that we are to receive. It's kept by him. It's undefiled. Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 28 through 29, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. He's saying it is eternal life that is ours, life that does not end. And I think that's the first thought that we have when we come to these words in chapter 1 and verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, the inheritance that is obtained. But I want you to see also what I think is a deeper and greater and truer meaning of this sentence. For you see, the words, in him we have obtained an inheritance, we have obtained an inheritance, rather, is one singular word in the Greek. And it may also be translated like this. Right now we translate it, in him we have obtained an inheritance. But grammatically and theologically, it is just as true to say, in him we have been, wait for it, made an inheritance. There's a big difference because in one, there's an inheritance that is yet to come, and it's not exactly specific on, in this passage at least, what that inheritance is. But when it's translated into him, we have been made an inheritance. The inheritance is you, and the one who is to receive you is God. And I think that is the truer, really, and the greater meaning. Both are true. We are going to obtain an inheritance that is kept for us, undefiled, that is being guarded by God. But at the same time, the scripture is very clear that we, as his people, are his inheritance. He values you that much that you are an inheritance that he is to receive. Deuteronomy chapter 4 in verse 20 will say that the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. Later on in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, we'll learn of the riches of God's glorious inheritance of the saints. Now, let me just spend just a few moments diving in to why I believe this is a better translation. Because I know what you're saying. Uh, listen, some Arkansas boy, some boy with your grammar and your ability should not be retranslating the Bible. And I'm not doing that. I'm just saying this is an a, a grammatically correct statement to make. Many theologians that I've studied this past week have said that this should be uh, translated. It could be translated this way. I want to just explain to you why I think that we have been made an inheritance is a better translation. Number one, it fits better within the nature of the specific nature of the sentence. Look with me back in verse 4. Let me illustrate this for you. In verse 4, we're going to begin to see how specific this sentence is. In verse 4, it says, Even as he chose us, that's what he did in him, before the foundation of the world, that's when he did it, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's why he did it. 
But he doesn't stop with being specific because right before verse 5, he says, in love, that's why he did it. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoptions through sons. That's uh, what he did. And then on to verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, here's the purpose of what he did. It doesn't stop there in verse 7. Again, very specific. In him we have redemption. What he did. What was the cost? Through his blood. Uh, uh, what does it mean, the forgiveness of our trespasses? What was it like according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us? Very, very specific. But when we come to verse 11 through 14, the word inheritance doesn't really describe anything specific unless we were to translate that, that we were made his inheritance. Not only does it fit the specific nature of the sentence better, but it fits the theme of the sentence better. Let's not forget that all throughout this sentence, the purpose of salvation, the glory of salvation, has very little to do with you and has a whole lot to do with who God is. And so this inheritance that we are to receive is true, and I believe it's there. But the greater meaning is this. God is on his throne, and he's eagerly awaiting the day when he comes back to get us, and we are his. It reminds me of, and the only way I can illustrate it is for the birth of my first child, Bo. Bo had his first week of kindergarten uh, this week. He loves kindergarten. He ran out of my truck like he'd been waiting five years on the day to get away. And, and I was thinking back to those first moments. We had waited so long. We'd been told that we would not be able to have children. And then, lo and behold, God brought this blessing along, and we had waited. We, I remember not sleeping the night before and checking Sarah in the hospital early, early, early that Friday morning. And we waited. And we waited. And, uh, and let me tell you something. I, you know, I can speak for Sarah, but my goodness, what a, just a time of just oh, anxiety and just ready to, ready to have this child. And about 11 o'clock at night, the doctor came in and Sarah said, get this baby out of me. It's been all day long. I'm ready for this to happen. And so they decided it was in the best interest to uh, have a C-section and have this child. And so I, I watched as they rolled her into the room and they put, put up all the curtains. They gave her all the medication. And I sat there and held her hand. And I'll, I'll never forget hearing that sound. And they say they don't do it anymore. I heard it. I heard, wah, And I thought, what have we had? It was a deep, deep growl and uh, foreshadowing of what my life would be like. <laughs> I remember holding that baby boy and bringing him over to Sarah. And she was uh, coming out of, the, out of the drugs, I don't know. She was coming out of the medication, whatever the right word is there. And I held Bo up to her arms and I saw her eyes light up. And she said, hello, little man. And I remember thinking two things simultaneously. I had a lot of joy in my heart, but I remember thinking that my high position on top of the Sarah totem pole of attention and priority had just dropped to beneath the surface somewhere. 
it was, it was well underneath the surface now as we had waited for nine months and much longer to see this little child and to say to him, you're home. And in the same way, there's coming a day as we go through these difficult times in life. God has already put a seal on us, as we'll discover in a few moments. There's coming a day when we will go to see Jesus, and I can imagine him embracing us and saying, you're home. Finally, you're mine. <laughs> you, you look like me because I have molded you into my image. I've set my spirit upon you, which we'll talk about in a few moments, and transformed you into the image of Jesus, and you are home. No more tears, no more sickness, no more death, no more worry. You are mine, and I am yours. You see, we are his inheritance. Secondly, I want you to see the certainty. You've seen the inheritance. That is, we are going to receive eternal life, heaven. We are going to receive joy unspeakable, but really, he will receive us. And now I want you to see the certainty. Look at me in verse 13. In whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Here, the Bible tells us of the certainty of our inheritance. You don't have to question the inheritance that is to come. It is a thing that is for certain. It is absolute. It's, it's matter of fact. It's already been accomplished. It's already been taken care of. You know, when, when we get saved, we're not immediately transported to heaven. Uh, a lot of people have problems with that. Sometimes I've got problems with that. Wouldn't it be nice to be saved and immediately out of the problems of this world, out of the difficulties of this world? But see, God has a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. And so when we're saved, he leaves us here. And the, really the, the purpose is to, to go and to tell and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are around us to the praise of his glory. But since he didn't immediately transport us to heaven, he wanted to give us a, a sureness. He wanted to give us a certainty. And so what the Father did was he took his Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not given after conversion at some mysterious time. It's not, it's not manifested uh, to the entire world with strange tongues and with weird things that happen. Rather, the most sure sign of the Holy Spirit and of his movement is that the name of Jesus is glorified. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us of what Jesus said. He convicts us of sin. And God placed his Holy Spirit upon every believer. And by the way, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, he does not have you. That means you are not a child of God. The Holy Spirit seals us. In the New Testament, when we use the word seal, we would take an important document or a letter or a contract, and we would fold it up, and we would take some wax, and we would melt it and pour it over the top, and then the, the prince or the, the person of high authority would take his signet ring, and he would press it down into that seal. And that would let everyone know the authenticity and the security of this, of this document, that it was real. And just like that, the Father has taken us 
And he has pressed his Holy Spirit into us. That's why, believers, when you sin, you have conviction. That's the Holy Spirit pressed into you. He seals us with his Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, among many things, does many wonderful things for us. It gives us security. It gives us security. You aren't staying saved. You aren't saved by yourself. It is the Holy Spirit and his presence in your life that reminds us that we are children of God, that testifies that we are children of God. It reminds me of this story in Louisiana. A little boy was playing out by a, a swamp and an alligator had come up close and had bitten him. I don't can't remember if it was on his leg or on his arm. But I remember as the alligator just about took him underwater, his mother, who was nearby, ran over and grabbed his other arm and held on tight and began to scream and to yell for help. Well, there was someone who was passing by and they were able to help get the child loose and they rushed him to the emergency room. And it became news all over town about this little boy who had almost perished at the base of that, at the, at the border of that swamp. Reporters had began to ask questions. Finally, one was let through into the hospital room. And the child had looked kind of worse for wear, but was talking to him. And he says, do you want to see my scar? And the man walked over and pulled up and saw the alligator bite and saw how it had mangled his arm and, and left it in such terrible shape. And he said, that is terrible. That is horrible. You're going to carry this scar with you for the rest of your life. And the child said, not that scar. And he lifted up, the, lifted up the sleeve of the other arm. And there in that other arm were the fingernail prints of his mother, who had held on tight and who was not going to let go. And if that alligator was going to get anybody, it was going to get her first. She was not letting go. He said, that's the scar's. I'll look at for the rest of my life. In the same way, the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life is what's holding on to you for salvation. And that Holy Spirit guarantees your salvation. He's a down payment. Because if the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is able to do such things, then you can know that God is going to fulfill His promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And let me just say this as a, as a means of kind of getting off the subject for just a second. We as Baptists should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you need the Holy Spirit to understand the Scripture. You need the Holy Spirit to, un to live a godly life. You need the Holy Spirit to put to death the sin in your life. If there's sin, if you're struggling hard with sin uh, in your life, which we all are at certain points, if you're struggling hard and having no victory, that's because you're not relying upon the Holy Spirit. By the way, you're supposed to, by the Spirit, put to death the things of the flesh. We as believers should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but should be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll find that your ability to be a better spouse, or to be a godlier spouse, rather, to be a godlier church member, to be a godlier citizen in the United States, will be highly determined on your being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is constantly saying, Lord, You've, been, you've given me your Holy Spirit. You've sealed me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that I would be just filled and that you would use me, Lord. 
Uh, we've seen so far both the inheritance and the certainty of that inheritance. But thirdly, I want you to see the purpose of that inheritance. Verse 12 and verse 14 at the end. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then again at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God has blessed us, amen, church. He's blessed you if you know him. If you've been born again, he's blessed you. Your salvation is not primarily about you, but it's about his praise. Yeah, you're involved. And let me tell you something, we're a big part of it. But God saved us. Yes, because he loved us. Yes, because he wanted us to be holy and blameless before him. But constantly throughout the scripture, it is for his own glory. That is, God understands the best that we could have, the most joy that we could ever be filled with, can only be found in him. He is the only good thing. He is the only right thing. He is the only holy thing. And so he does everything for his own glory. Isaiah 48 and verse 11 teaches us this. For my own glory, for my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Again, in Jeremiah 13, 11, he speaks of his own glory and why he does things for his own glory. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him, that is Jesus, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, everything is going to Jesus. Everything is for Jesus. And let me tell you why. You can, with Jesus, you have more than enough. With Jesus, you don't have to worry. You don't have to have anxiety. With Jesus, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is more than enough. And he has saved us for his own glory. And there's none other deserving. He's the only one deserving of such glory. I'm not. Many of you could say amen there, but, you know, why start a new trend today? Listen, He does things for his own glory, not for your glory. By the way, if we're in him, just as he's glorified, we will be glorified with him. But he does things for his own glory. The purpose is that we would praise him. Church, I want you to be a church that praises. I want you to be a people that praise. We are blessed so that we can bless him. We're blessed so that we can praise him. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to speak with me or another counselor here in the next few moments during our time of response. I would encourage you to come and speak to me or another counselor, whatever God is laying on your heart. I'd love to speak with you and pray with you about what's going on in your life. Would you pray with me right now? Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.